Welcome back to Rome Boys. On this episode, we've got Steve Ray in the house. In the house. <laughs> Out in the country. Yes. <laughs> yeah. In the farmhouse. Well, when you pulled up last night, to you, you spoke to our cluster parishes last night, and great, great Amazing. talk. I mean, it was yes. awesome. The turnout, everybody was there. I mean, it was just a great time. And but the first thing you said as soon as you got out of the car was, "You guys live in the middle of nowhere." <laughs> yeah, and even coming here, I got I was on the phone with you, and you're telling me go past the stop sign and then turn right when you find the first dead skunk on the road, turn left, and then you'll see six cows in the field, and you're getting close. <laughs> you're almost there. You're almost there. Waving at yeah, you. Yeah. Look for the Catholic Church on the hill. <laughs> yeah, none of what you said is a lie. That's true. Nope, all of that is true. No, you you guys really do live way, way, way out here. Mm. And and it's delightful. What a great way to raise it a family. Is. It's a blessing. Yeah. Tony actually quoted someone a long time ago, uh, <laughs> and I can't remember the source except for Tony. Yeah. Um, and that is there are more saints created in rural uh, yes, parts of the world. Like 70% yeah. Are, yeah, from the rural I had lunch with one today, actually. <laughs> Monsignor Droll. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did. He was from Rowena. He was telling yes, me his story was. of growing up there. And yes. I was raised in the country, too, on a little mm-hmm. farm, so I feel mm-hmm. I write at home. There's hope for all of us. Plus, these saints, most saints come out of rural. Rural areas, and then most times when Mary appears to somebody, it's usually they're not very intelligent. Or usually, so. <laughs> usually it's the females that are the more the saints than males. So it's like, oh, wait. well, you know, <laughs> that's I, not surprising. I, there's yeah. an interesting thing about that with who the uh, Mary appears to. She was only 15 years old, and she lived way out at, off the main road there in a go. small mm-hmm. unknown village. Yeah. And an angel came to speak to her when she was 15. I think she feels much more comfortable with young innocent people. Mm-hmm. Of course, and uh, the, look at who she's come to in Fatima and, and um, right. Lourdes and all these different places in Guadalupe too. Um, You're right. She goes to it's the it's way out people. there. Now you know better than I. I've only been there once. You've yeah. been there how many times? <laughs> Where's that? <laughs> Literally where Mary was. You know, oh, grew up and yeah. I've been to Nazareth two hundred times. Mm-hmm. Yep, and mm-hmm. I still get goosebumps and the hair goes up when I'm in front of that cave where she lived. Yes. And and I tell people that's where Mary lived right here, and this is where the angel met her. Mm. And on the and when she said yes, this is where the word became flesh. It didn't happen in Bethlehem. It happened here, uh-huh. and that's why on the altar it says in Latin, "The word became flesh here." Mm-hmm. Oh, and if you don't get, and that's where the first words of the rosary are spoken. Hail, All right? It didn't say Mary. It said hail, full of grace. Yeah. Kahare mm-hmm. tomene is mm-hmm. a Greek word, but. Um, she was the only and, one in the room, so it was referring to her. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think that might be why she feels so comfortable coming to young children and simple people, because mm-hmm. she herself was, is a very simple person mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Well, it's awesome to have you here. Well, thank you. Glad yeah. to be here. Thanks awesome. for making the trip. Glad yeah. to be yeah. here. I, uh, when I got invited to come to Denton to uh, give talks there, and then you guys called and said, hey, as long as you're out there, we'll, we're just a hop, a hop, skip, and a jump away. Yeah, yeah. So it's like little, skip, little did you skip, know. Skip, 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 <laughs> skip, <laughs> jump, jump, so jump. Said, yeah, yeah, let's, right. let's yeah. do it. That'll be fun. So I've yeah, enjoyed yes. being here. Thank Three, you. Uh, three hours of jumping, and you, you made it here. Yeah. <laughs> well, last night after you gave the talk, uh, and you did a great job, uh, I must say, uh, is <clears throat> you know, you kind of pulled a few, uh, pulled a little moisture out of my eye, and uh, <laughs> out here in dry West Texas. But uh, Mr. Convert here, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a convert as well. And uh, I will tell you that there were many people last night and this morning actually texting me uh, about your talk and about the impact that you've had. Uh, so it's awesome to see there was a bunch of people in the room uh, that 
are actually becoming converts. Yeah. And so to hear your story, I think, is a great impact. Uh, I want to ask you, though, um, now that you're not in front of, you know, a couple hundred people and we got you all to ourselves, uh, you were you were Baptist. Yes. Raised in a great home. Um, can you go back to that? I don't know if it's the moment of metanoia or that moment that you had where you said you went out and you had long hair and bell-bottom <laughs> pants and... I was 17 years old, and I, I graduated from high school in 1973, so I was right in the middle of that whole culture, cultural change with the mm. Beatles and the Rolling Stones and all of the Woodstock. I didn't go there, but my best friend went to Woodstock. Uh, all that craziness. I was in the middle of it. I had long hair down on my shoulders, bell-bottom blue jeans. I was a rebel. I had decided I wasn't going to be a Christian two years earlier when I was 15 because the Christian kids I knew weren't cool. Mm. And they and I found a whole new group of friends that were. And But like Paul says, bad company corrupts good morals, which mm-hmm. is why it's great schooling, homeschooling your kids because you have some control over mm-hmm. who they spend their time with. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I remember Billy Graham came on the ra- on radio or television. I don't remember which it was, and I, I just I just got hit. Boy, the Lord just hit me that day. Mm-hmm. And when I heard Billy Graham, I always had a soft spot for the Lord in my life. And when I heard him say that God has a plan for your life, and he just had such a wonderful way of preaching that it just drew you in. My mm-hmm. mother in 1953 became a Christian because of Billy Graham hearing him. And her and my dad. So when I was 17, I my mom was smart. She had the Christian radio on all the time. Mm-hmm. She just used to say, my kids will catch it even if it's by osmosis. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. And uh, sure enough, that night, um, Billy Graham was on and George Beverly Shea sang, mm-hmm. Just as I am without one plea. Oh, that just that got me. And I ran out, didn't want my mom and dad to see me affected by Billy Graham. <laughs> yeah. And I walked down Napier Road in Canton, Michigan, out in the country. And I just said, Jesus, tonight I'm giving my whole life to you. Mm-hmm. And that was the most important moment of my life. I, everything goes back to that moment. And it was the trajectory. You shoot a rocket, it has a certain trajectory. And that was set the trajectory for my life. Mm-hmm. And here I am, what I'm now, I'm almost 70. So was that 57, 60, 57, 53 years later? Mm-hmm. Here I am still on that trajectory. Mm-hmm. How can we replicate Amazing. that? I mean, everybody's story is personal, of course. But yeah. many Catholics, they know the doctrine, they know the catechesis, they know the teaching, but they know about Jesus. But you encountered Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Yeah. How can we... Bring that about, make that a focus and emphasis. I think what, exactly what you guys are doing, because you you, ha, you can plant the seed and you can set the stage, but you can't you can't crawl inside the person. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know. So you plant the seed. You guys are doing this. How do how many people? You have no idea. Maybe the number of people that you're affecting in the same way. Or with your own kids. Your own kids are the most important mission field. Forget Rome boys. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Sure. Absolutely. If, if it's a choice between raising your kids right and making sure they're right or spending your time doing this, mm-hmm. quit the Rome boys and take care of your kids. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. you're doing mm-hmm. both. That's wonderful. I mean, yeah. But you know my point yes. Yes. is yeah. that your family is your first mission field. Yes, absolutely. And the kids will... I think that I was able to have that experience because I saw the reality of it in my mom and dad. And I saw my dad and mom really loved Jesus, and they were serious about it. And yeah, they fought once in a while, and they weren't perfect. But there was always that great 
love of Jesus and pride of being a Christian. And so that affected us, mm-hmm. you know, and, and my three brothers are all the same. Yeah. One of them has become Catholic. The other one is just a good evangelical. But um, it was the it was living in that family and then hearing Billy Graham. So I think raising kids that way, giving them that environment and being real yourselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not being fake for one minute, being mm-hmm. real. Be totally mm-hmm. honest with the kids yeah. about things. And if the priest is long-winded, and I mean, I remember saying, man, that, that pastor was sure long-winded, didn't have anything to say today. Mm-hmm. And the kids would say, Dad, that's, you're right. They appreciated I was honest with them. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. when I talked to them about other things, they knew I was being honest with yeah. them. Yeah, you know? that's a great point. And it was, a, it was a, uh, just a way of being real with the kids mm-hmm. and using every experience I, for teaching moments. I remember when we were coming home and my daughter, my oldest one, who's now a PhD in philosophy, and we were coming home late one night because we lived out in the country when I raised the kids. Because we homeschooled. We had to live in the country because it was illegal in Michigan to homeschool. Gosh, it's hard and to believe. They could have put us in jail and taken our kids and put them in foster homes for educational neglect. We were pioneers wow. of this. Yeah. And one day we, were, we moved out in the country, bought an old farmhouse, and disappeared for five years until it became legal. But we came home one night at late, and there was a car parked in the corn, you know, the, the two-track out to the cornfield. Hmm. And I saw that car, and I knew what was going on in that car because I was a rebellious teenager once, you know. <laughs> and so my daughter and me in the car, it's dark. And so I, I, this, I said, this is a great t- teaching moment for mm-hmm. me. So I pulled up behind the car, and I put on the bright lights, and there's two bear butts in the back window. Oh, my goodness. In the station wagon. <laughs> So I just left the lights on and I went beep, uh. and you watch those two kids get dressed in the back of that car real fast with oh. the back window all steamed up. Oh my! Oh my and then I, my daughter says, "What? What are you doing, Dad? What are they doing, Dad?" And I, <laughs> she was about seven years old. So I backed out and I let them go. I said, "We'll talk about it in the morning because it's late." But I said, "I want you to think about it between now and then." So we got up the next morning. And she came down very thoughtful, and she said, Dad, I think I know what they were doing in the car. (laughs) I said, what were they doing? She said, Dad, we have chickens and rabbits and goats, and I know what they do, and then babies come. Wow. And I said, you're right. And I said, now let me ask you this question. Do you think that girl feels like a princess this Mm -hmm. morning? Do you think she feels special? No, she was embarrassed by the whole thing. I said, "Do you? Why would she let a boy do that? Probably because she doesn't have a father who loves her mm-hmm. and is a good example. And and she feels that because she doesn't have a dad who loves and approves her, she has to go find a boy to do that, yeah. a yep. male figure. And he said, "Oh, if you really love me, you'll let me do this." Yeah. And she says, "Well, I do." And then and I said, "Now, what if she's gotten?" gonorrhea or syphilis <laughs> do you think if he had that he's warned her ahead of time mm-hmm. yeah. and what if she gets aids now because of that? and even worse what if she's pregnant now is that boy going to take care of that baby or yeah. what's and my daughter saying dad that's she was just that rocked her world yeah. thinking about that yeah. and so then i always talked to her about those things so later on when she got older her friends tried to even though they're good Christian friends, they still tried to entice her to do things. And she said, my dad told me all about that. Mm. I will never do that. So she said that the, the very fact that I was honest with her about all those mm-hmm. things, even from a young age, mm. she said that was so impress- impactful to me mm. that she said that's why I never did any of those things the other kids did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Especially from a father to a daughter. A father to At a daughter. At least what I have yeah. found. Like my sons are a little bit more challenging. They want to be a little bit more adventurous, yep. rebellious. But the daughters are like totally listening. Like it's just... It was the opposite in solid. our family. Our okay. son was totally compliant and okay. easy to do. And our daughters were stubborn. And <laughs> I, right. I used to... <laughs> 
They were they my two of them especially. Yeah. <laughs> I had to be on my toes, and yeah. I told them, "You're never going to beat me. You're uh, never going to beat me. I love you too much to let you get away with yeah. anything." Yeah. Mm. And now um, they are grateful. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> I would say that our father-in-law, we share a mutual father-in-law, uh, Tony and I, and he was all, you know, I, the week that we were uh, getting married, uh, my wife and I, I was riding in the in the car with Steve, my father-in-law, and I asked him, it was just him and me, and we were on a way to, to go fishing. And I said, you raised two really good kids, two really good daughters. How in the world you, did you do it? Without hesitation, he said, I didn't give him an inch. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And he, he, and he talked about everything. I mean, he's yep. real about everything. Yep. Yep. And that's exactly right. You give them their parameters, and then you don't bend. You have to be consistent with it, yeah. and mm-hmm. you have to be yep. disciplined about it. And um, that's, that's just the way. And, and our girls, they're very beautiful girls, and there's always boys interested in them, and they couldn't date until they were 18. That was mm-hmm. just a rule that mm-hmm. we had. Mm-hmm. And because it's not a recreational thing where yeah. you go out to driving around at night with some boy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, and when a boy does want to be your friend, even at even before 18, and wants to be with you at school or come to your house with you or whatever, I said, that's fine, but I want to meet him first. Mm-hmm. Sure. So yeah. every girl, every guy had to come and sit down in our living room with our family and my son, and he had to answer, talk yeah. to me. Yeah, and I questions. said, I hear that you, uh, <laughs> nice to have you here. I said, I hear you like my daughter. He said, yes, sir, I do. I said, good, now you're accountable to me. <laughs> and I said, I we've raised her exactly. Right. We've raised her. We spent a lot of time on her. I've spent a lot of money on this girl, <laughs> and she's very special to us. Mm. And if you think in any way you're going to mess around with my daughter, mm. you got another thing coming. And mm. if you ever do, I'll break both your legs. It was called a broken leg speech. <laughs> it, it became famous for that. Nice. <laughs> and so my daughters would say, Dad, are you going to give this guy the broken knee speech? I said, I said. Then then came along uh, my. My one daughter, her husband, she met him on an airplane. He was in a, a mili- uh, army uniform. He was in the, in the Air Force, and he was going to Iraq. And they met for two hours on a plane, and they shared email addresses. And she said later, she was thinking, that's the most handsome man I've ever seen. And he was saying, it's the most beautiful. They sat next to each other on the plane. Wow. And they communicated by emails from the whole time he was in Iraq, and they fell in love by email. And when he came home, he wanted to meet us. And um, he wanted to marry her, and I said, yes. And she said, Dad, you're not going to give him the broken knee speech. He just got out of the Army. I said, I know, but I am. <laughs> so I called him down one day, and I said, Wes, I guess we're going to do the broken knee speech. I said, here's what I tell every young man that's interested in my daughters. And I said, and I will break your legs. And I said, I know you're bigger than me and you're military, but I'll get you from behind. <laughs> <laughs> but he liked it that I did that. Yeah. yeah. And right. I also said, when you, to the guy, when you marry my daughter, it's for a lifetime. Yeah. Don't ever even think of coming to me and saying you don't love my daughter anymore. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I said, you have me to deal with then too. Yeah. And believe me, I will not take that well. Mm-hmm. My yeah. dad used to say, you know, a young man will fight you. Old man will hurt you. <laughs> 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 See, that's why I like the Rome boy's whole attitude because I'm right with you guys. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. Uh, and from that, uh, that same parenting, I mean – Melissa was a virgin when we married, and she was, yeah. you know, she is just an awesome person. And so it's awesome for us to be able to share that with our six daughters. Yep. You yes. know, uh, that legacy can it go is. on. It is, that's right. My son, he, when he was um, younger, we had all these talks with him too, and he made a club with uh, five guys in our parish, and they formed a club that they were going to be virgins 
and Mary virgins, That's and they great. were going to help each other protect their eyes. Awesome. They have to yeah. hold each other accountable. Now there's 16 year old boys, you know, wow. yeah. Yeah, right. and that they're going to hold each other accountable to about pornography yes. and all those things. And they had this thing called a babe alert, yeah. <laughs> and people think that's they what? But whenever they were somewhere and a girl came by with not much, not many clothes on, they go babe alert, babe alert, and they'd yeah. all look away, oh, yeah. <laughs> so that they would yeah. let their eyes, like Job said, my eyes will not dwell up, uh, yes. upon a maiden. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, in a wrong way. So th- th- now those guys are all married with kids and they're still friends. These guys. Yeah, oh, I have awesome. a devout friend, devout yeah. Muslim friend, traditional Muslim friend, uh, Mubasher. He's a great guy. Uh, we were having these conversations. We had dialogue about you know scripture and you know ancient history and so forth. One of the things that we talked about was he said in their culture, uh, they say you better make that first ca- uh, look count, <laughs> which is the opposite. <laughs> of <one. laughs> Yeah, because you look back second time, it's yeah. a simple thing. <laughs> yeah, <not> <laughs> or that first glance. Yeah. Is what he said. We so. always say, like, what? Where is it at? Three o'clock, six o'clock? You know, where's the, the positioning? Okay, <laughs> yeah. over this way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But th- yeah. this is so important how parents raise their kids and and parents that look at their careers as what their what their purpose in life mm-hmm. is to make money mm-hmm. have missed the whole boat. Yeah, um, success. Mm-hmm. My wife and I say that success is when we're 85 years old and we're on the on the porch swing rocking uh, with our walkers next to us and we look at all our grandkids out there and all yes. of them and say this is what life was all about. Yes. Right. It's not about the uh, careers are important. You got to go out and make money. But you, people ask me all through my life, well, what are you? They expected I was going to say I'm. A, you know, I've had businesses. I used to run yeah. a business with 600 employees and I sold it so I could do this. And they'd say, well, what are you? And I'd say. I'm a Christian. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I, I no, no. I don't mean what religion are you. I mean, what are you? Oh, what do I do to make a living? That's not who I am. Yeah, that's great. Good, well, good point. I make a living at this, but I am this. Yes. I am a first of all a Christian. Second of all, a husband and a father. Mm-hmm. And third of all, a businessman. Yeah. Yeah. But that comes in that order. In yeah. that order, exactly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I often say that uh, my job, my career, my business is just a vessel. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity for right. me to share who right. I am. Exactly. Uh, and the world needs those examples, right? Mm-hmm. And so. you'll retire someday and walk away from that, and it'll be gone. But your kids won't. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so true. Yeah. You don't retire from kids. Most of the time, whenever somebody asks that question, what do you do? Chasing kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we do is chase kids. I don't, yeah. I don't know if about anything else we do. Especially chase your kids. kids, your boys. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, where did he go? <laughs> He's on the roof. <laughs> yeah. 